Okay. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, October 23rd. And, uh... Oh, man. For me personally, it's been a really busy, wild week. Um, I apologize this is late. You know, I, I'm going to record another episode tomorrow, hopefully another one on Friday. Uh, a lot of good stuff happened. I just signed a lease and got my own place for the very first time in my life. I'm in the process of moving. You know how that is. It's awful. There's so much going on. Um, and as a result of that today, you know, this episode is going to be a little bit shorter. I'm going to do recap what happened last week, talk about next week. Do Ask Zach, and then really just get in, get out. I want to just get what I have done out because I'm behind, and I want to make something, (laughs) and I'm doing the best I can. Uh, A bunch of NFL trades just happened, and I have content prepared. I'm really excited, actually. I think I will cover those trades better than anybody else in America. However, I'm just not quite ready to get those out, so I'm going to do them tomorrow. You'll enjoy an Emmanuel Sanders video. You'll enjoy a video about Mohamed Sanu going to the Patriots. That stuff is coming. I'll do it tomorrow morning. I just want to record what I have because I I just don't want to sit on this any longer. And I want to say uh, just thank you so much to everybody who watches and listens to Strong Opinion Sports. Um, you guys have made such a huge impact on my life. I, I just can't th- say thank you enough. The people that watch and the people that listen, I, I just... You may not know this. I make money when people watch my show. Like you watch the videos I put on YouTube. I make money. And it really helps me. And then my Patreon supporters, man, uh, it, you guys just help me so much. It, I can't even begin to describe it. Uh, if you give a dollar a month, that dollar might seem insignificant to you. But to me, that dollar is so meaningful and it's allowed me to get a place. And I, I, I'm just so... So excited. It's, you know, some of you give even more than a dollar, and that's just, I, I submit, I don't even have a way to repay you. It, I just am so grateful and so thankful. Um, you know, the new place I got is very modest, um, but it does have a master bedroom that's going to be awesome. You know, my, the master bedroom, it will be where I record the show, and I am so excited to make a ton of content out there. I'm living in this place, like, little tiny bedroom. I don't even care. I don't even go in my bedroom. I sleep in my bedroom. I don't even do that. Half of them, I'm not even kidding. I sleep right in front of the camera, like literally right there on the floor. Last night, is that's literally where I slept. I'm not even kidding. Um, so I just am so excited to have a great new workspace. It's going to be great for the show. And uh, here's the best part, the very best part of the new place I'm moving to. Um, internet's going to be way faster. It's within the city limits where I live, and that allows access to much faster internet, which means, guess what? I said today is Wednesday, October 23rd. After I record this episode, I'm going to drive to the new place, upload from there, which has really fast internet, and I think it's going to upload in like an hour and a half to two hours, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, he said it's Wednesday, October 23rd, and I'm listening to it the night of Wednesday, October 23rd, and to be, to be fair, it's, you know, 5.30 p.m. where I live, so the episode might not come out till 10.30 p.m. where I live, so that's, you know, one in the morning on the East Coast, I don't care, hey, that's better than 10.30 in the morning tomorrow, uh, I, the new place has a faster upload speed than this current spot has with downloads. It's just way faster. I got the best internet I could, uh, and I'm so excited to just get stuff out faster and sooner. And it's going to be a pain in the butt to move all this stuff. Everything you see on camera, if you're listening, you, you don't see it, anything on camera. But all the stuff it takes to make the show has to move to the new place. 
And then I got to find a way to make it not sound terrible with blankets and all kinds of stuff. I have a whole plan, but it's going to take forever to set up. And so I, I just want to say thank you so much. It's a huge step, not just for me as a human getting my own place for the first time, uh, but also having a place to make the show and do it the right way, the way I've always envisioned it. Uh, I can have guests on now. The space is big enough to do that. It's just going to be so much better, and I can make more timely content. You know, if something happens on Monday morning, you might finally hear my opinion on it Monday night instead of Thursday afternoon because it's always taken me so long. It's taken me like 10 hours to upload an hour and a half podcast, and so now it's going to take me like two hours with the new internet, and I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm rambling on now, uh, but I just cannot say thank you enough to the people who support me on Patreon and the people who watch and listen to this show, man. It, it just is... Uh, I really want to reward you guys with incredible content. I'm doing the best I can. I don't sleep a lot, uh, but I really want to do you guys proud with what I make in the next couple months. I'm, I'm just so excited about it. I also got to say, silly story. I don't have time for the story. I'm going to do it anyways. I wrote it in my notes. Uh, I went to Comcast this morning and had like a weirdly good experience. I just was like, what the heck? And this is not a sponsored segment at all, but I drove to Xfinity, like prepared for a battle that was going to take Six years. I was like, all right. Everyone says Comcast is horrible, and I hear all these horror stories. It took me an hour. Within an hour of walking into Xfinity, the new place had internet, and like Wi-Fi was ready to go in that master bedroom where I'm going to record shows. I was like, oh, my gosh. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm not doing TV. I, do, I use YouTube TV because it's way cheaper, and you get everything you need. Uh, but, man, I, I just was – I always hear horror stories about Comcast, and my experience – was shockingly easy. I was like, all right, well, I guess, you know, Xfinity, hey, they, they won a fan from me. I, you know, when people do me well, I really am grateful for that. So they did, they did a good job today. I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything other to say than if you hate Comcast, I'm sorry. My experience was amazing today. Like just bam, got internet immediately. Um, and so be prepared. The, the, I, I'm doing my best. I'm going to try to make this show without missing, skipping a beat. Uh, I have a lot of stuff planned for tomorrow, um, but I will not be recording in this room for much longer. You'll see the moose behind me. I got to find like some kind of stand I'm going to put them on. I own no furniture. I might, <laughs> I might have to record on just a blank wall for a little while with like the Strong Opinion Sports flag. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to set up a P.O. box so people can send me like more stuff. Moose is going to be funny to have behind me. I have no plan. If you have things you want to see behind me, I'm not going to put up jerseys. I'm not going to put up flags. I want to be a more neutral looking thing that looks more just neutral and professional. Um, but also want to keep that same vibe of like, I'm in a basement, man. I'm doing the best I can in a silly little basement. I don't know. I'm talking way too long. I want to jump into and start talking about what happened over the weekend. So first of all, on Monday Night Football, the Patriots dominated the Jets 33-0. to They just smacked them. The Patriots are now 7-0. and the Jets are one in five. And right off the bat, I want to just admit how hilariously wrong I was about this game. Um, I suggested very stupidly, apparently, I suggested that there was a chance the Jets could upset the Patriots. <laughs> oh, no. Nope. Uh, your boy Zach was wrong. I do a segment sometimes called Zach is a Genius where I make fun of myself. Yeah, apparently not a genius today. I was just totally wrong on that. And it's really funny. Right after the Jets beat the Cowboys last, you know, two weeks ago now. The Jets beat the Cowboys. Sam Darnold played great. And I made a video and, and made a whole topic about, I thought that Sam Darnold was going to bring the Jets a lot of hope. I thought, Sam Darnold, things are looking up. He's playing well. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. 
And the hope that Sam Darnold brought the Patri- the Jets was just very quickly crushed by the New England Patriots. They were like, oh, no, that, that feeling of hope you had? Nah, not at all. And this it's funny to me because it's the second time this has happened. A couple weeks ago, uh, I made a video about UCLA football saying, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he looked really good at quarterback in one game. He led UCLA from a giant come-from-behind victory. And I was like, man, he revitalized UCLA football. UCLA football has hope. And then the very next game, he got injured and was out. He missed a bunch of time. And, you know, DTR has not been what I wanted. And next thing you know, UCLA is 2-5. and five. So I just want to admit I was wrong about this game. It's hilarious how, how wrong I was. And I also want to point out that Sam Darnold, the Jets quarterback, is 22 years old. He's younger than Dwayne Haskins. He's younger than Drew Locke. He's younger than Gardner Minshew. All three of them are rookies. Sam Darnold is actually in his second year in the NFL. He's younger than them, even though he's been in the NFL for longer. Sam is also over two years younger than Baker Mayfield. I'm not ready to panic about Sam Darnold. He's in year two. He's a young quarterback. He's learning. He's growing. And I want to give every quarterback until year three before I bail on them. If Sam Darnold has a, a really bad game like this at the beginning of next year, then yeah, I'm ready to say it's just not working. Like Mitchell Trubisky, it's not working in Chicago. He's not made the progress we need. But Sam Darnold is early enough. Okay, let's say, let's wait. Let's see what happens with Sam Darnold. But even me, I like Sam Darnold. I've, I've always supported him. I met him in high school. I watched him play live in college. I've always liked Sam Darnold. Even I have to acknowledge he looked awful, awful on Monday Night Football. And one of the stories that surfaced after this Monday night game is the, you know, the ghost gate. I'm going to call it ghost gate because it's stupid and no one else is calling it that. And I can say whatever I want. Uh, it's a controversial quote that originated from the ESPN broadcast uh, of Monday Night Football. It's Sam Darnold saying on the sidelines in the middle of this game, after throwing an interception, saying, I'm seeing ghosts. He said, I am seeing ghosts. And everybody overreacted to this comment. Um, and what it boils down to me, basically, is Sam Darnold admitting and saying that the Patriots' defense was confusing him. Uh, this happens a lot. You have a team, a team like the Patriots runs such a complicated, complicated offense. This is the number one problem people have coming from college football to the NFL is not only are guys faster, windows are smaller, you got a better arm, but defenses are more complicated. And the Patriots threw everything they had at Sam Darnold, and he's just looked lost and confused at times. He was seeing things that weren't there. That's what he means, seeing ghosts. I'm seeing defenders that aren't there. I'm seeing blitzers and disguised things. And I'm just lost and confused. But of course, social media and TV hosts just went off on Sam Darnold for this quote. And I don't, I get it. I understand kind of. I don't think it's that terrible of a quote. And I guess you can say it could make him look bad. Does it make Sam Darnold look bad to admit that he's struggling? I mean, if you want to interpret it that way, you can. I think it just makes him look human. Sam Darnold is a young guy who obviously, if you look at the number, Sam Darnold was 11 for 32 passing. That's an abysmal 34% completion percentage. Yeah, he was struggling. He was having a bad game. He had four interceptions. He had another fumble. He had five total turnovers. And his team, the Jets, had six total turnovers. Yes, Sam Darnold was having a bad game. And you know what he did on the sideline? He said, I'm seeing ghosts. I am struggling. He just acknowledged what everyone else could observe. Oh, yeah, Sam, you're playing really, really bad. 
And he had a lot of bad moments. He had throws that were nowhere near receivers. He had bad interceptions. One of them was a play where the Patriots blitzed him. He had a guy in his face, and he threw off his back foot. It just looked like he panicked. You can't do that as a quarterback. I can acknowledge that's awful. And then Sam made one of his best throws he could before halftime on, on a third and 15, made a great throw against tight coverage. But then he follows it up on a fourth and four where he just airmails the ball way over Robbie Anderson's head. And you go, oh, Sam, you're just so inconsistent. This is not working. He was a mess. And then to add insult to injury, <laughs> on the other side of the field, you have Tom Brady, who's like, it's Tom Brady. He's making incredible throws into tight windows. He's throwing back shoulder fades down the left sideline. He's doing his thing. To me, this quote from Sam Darnold, I'm seeing ghosts. It's just Sam being honest. He's like, hey, guys, I'm not doing well tonight. I can acknowledge that. Now, the Jets were furious. A lot of people from the Jets organization were upset that the Jets aired the quote on TV. The Jets head coach, Adam Gase, said this. He said, it bothers me. And it bothers the organization. He also said that, you know, he acknowledged it's part of the deal having players and coaches mic'd up for primetime games. But then he said this, quote, Obviously, you never anticipate something like that happening. The fact that it did, it gave us pause to really cooperate anymore because I don't know how we can allow our franchise quarterback to be put out there like that. Then the Jets running back Le'Veon Bell tweeted this. He said, the NFL screwed Sammy over, blah, blah, blah. He says, you know, there's not one player in the NFL who's cool with having every sideline conversation broadcasted to millions of people. There's a reason we've never heard other quarterbacks frustrated on the sideline like that before. That's crazy. At NFL, he tweeted at the NFL. He said, the NFL did Sam dirty as blank. Blank, you can fill in the blanks. I'm not going to say that word on my show. And so we're left with, well, first of all, what, what happened, right? So Sam Darnold was mic'd up. During the game, what led to all these quotes? Sam Darnold was mic'd up, and ESPN was running the broadcast. And so the way this works is if ESPN wants to air live one of the quotes that Sam Darnold said, they have to get approval from one of the on-site NFL Films representatives. Well, the NFL Films representative on-site at the game okayed the quote and said, yes, you ESPN can air Sam Darnold saying, I'm seeing ghosts. He said, that's fine. We can do it. Now, some guy verified on Twitter. His name is Monish. He's a reporter from the New York Daily News. I said his name horribly. I'm sorry. But he tweeted that some people up in the higher ranks of NFL films were upset that the representative gave the okay for this quote to be aired on television. Here's my issue, right? The Jets are really furious that the NFL allowed this to happen. The NFL people are like, well, we shouldn't have let our guy air that quote and at the end of the day, the Jets are the ones who allowed Sam Darnold to have a microphone on him during the game. The Jets caused this issue. If they're upset, they could have done different they could have done things differently to prevent this from happening. If they don't want their quarterback saying stuff on national TV, don't allow him to have a microphone during the game. It's not that hard to me. Especially here's the big lack of judgment to me. You allow your franchise quarterback who is young who's trying to make a name for himself, who's really not established yet in the NFL, to be mic'd up <laughs> against the New England Patriots, a young quarterback up against the best defense right now in the entire NFL. It's a mistake. The Jets should not have allowed Sam Darnold to be mic'd up if they weren't willing to have Sam Darnold make a fool of himself, which he kind of did. I, if you, I, don't even, I really don't think it's that big of a quote. It's just Sam admitting, hey, I'm, I'm wrong. 
really, I, I feel bad for Sam Darnold. He had a private moment where he was struggling, and it got broadcast live to millions and millions of people. Think of your lowest moment where you're lost and you're having a bad day or whatever. I remember crying in my car one time, and <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember what it was about now. I just remember I'm, in my head, I envision this moment where it's raining. I'm crying. It's ugly. It sucks. Can you imagine if that was broadcast live on television? That would suck. I'm not saying it's comp- Sam Darnold didn't cry, but Sam Darnold admitted, hey, I'm having a bad day. And it just a private moment between him and someone else got broadcast to everybody in the world. And now I understand that having your dirty laundry, having every move you make, trust me, if anybody understands that, it's me. Having every move you make analyzed and talked about and this and that, that's part of the deal when you're an NFL quarterback. Everything you do gets analyzed. I understand. But I don't think Sam's quote is the big embarrassment here. I think the big, if you're going to be embarrassed about something, Sam Darnold should be embarrassed about the way he played. He played like trash. He played like hot garbage on Monday night against the Patriots. Let's just be very, very honest about what happened. The Jets on all levels got outclassed by the New England Patriots on Monday night football. That's what happened. The Patriots are a more mature organization. They have better management. They have an experienced head coach. They have a veteran quarterback, a great defense. It's an expert playing against a rookie, right? It's a mismatch. Watching the Jets and Patriots was like watching me play one-on-one basketball with a five-year-old, right? If it happened in real life, I'd be very kind to the five-year-old. I would allow the five-year-old to have a little bit of success, make him feel good, whatever. But if I actually really wanted to beat the five-year-old at one-on-one basketball, a pickup game of basketball, I could easily dominate. I could block his shots. The kid can barely, I just envision a kid who's like, he's five years old, struggling to dribble. I'm guarding him. I steal the basketball away. I'm like laying it up in his face. Patriots Jets was like watching an adult dunk on a five-year-old. It's just not fair. It's not, and not even into the, like, I guess it's fair because they have the same parameters. But the point is, it's a giant mismatch. And the Jets got embarrassed. Every level of their organization is 33 points behind the New England Patriots. And it could have been more. It could have been worse. So I, you can really focus on this quote from Sam Darnold. Look, I think it's a guy admitting he's having a bad day, which he was. He was being honest. I don't think a quote makes him, it makes him look bad. I think a quote makes him look human. Um, I think the Jets are silly for reacting and saying the NFL screwed them over because, again, the Jets made the decision to put him on and to put it to make him mic'd up, I just I think the victim here, and not the victim, is the guy who's going to struggle the most out of all this is Sam Darnold. He's going to live with this quote. It's going to hang out with him for a long time until he overcomes it and shows he's a good quarterback. But even that, you know, that's the the key here is this quote from Sam Darnold. I'm seeing ghosts. If he has a great career, it's not going to matter. The only reason that this seeing ghosts quote has any kind of power to it is because Sam Darnold hasn't played incredible throughout his career. He's struggled at times. It's the only reason anybody cares. You know what else we, what else we learned about Sam Darnold here, and this is unfortunate, is that it's unfortunate he has the capacity to have a bad game like this. You know, uh, five turnovers, just looking lost, making throws that are nowhere near anybody, a 34% completion percentage. Now we know that Sam Darnold is capable of that. And that's really the, the biggest and most concerning takeaway from this game is I like Sam. I think he has hope. He's a young quarterback. 
I'm going to give him to, I think he, he should get through next year to really see what he has. But if we don't see progress next year, then yeah, there's a big problem. It's going to be time. But uh, I, I just think that we learned that he's capable of really, really negative, really bad play. And that's kind of horrifying if you're a Jets fan. I feel bad for them. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, some people were saying, I would rather have Sam Darnold than Dak Prescott. Oh, I, uh, those people look stupid today. Because, I, I, look, I, I think that Sam Darnold may, might have a higher ceiling and more, like, the best of Sam Darnold might be better than the best of Dak Prescott. But also, Dak Prescott's never had a game as atrocious as what Sam Darnold showed on Monday. So, uh, I, I think those people, you know, Dak is even killed needs to be appreciated a little bit more. The last point I want to make about the Patriots. The only concern I have about the New England Patriots is their kicking game. You know, their kicker got hurt. He's done for the year. The new guy they brought in is not as good. The Patriots are seven and zero right now, but their one concern is, will they miss a kick in a big moment down the stretch? That's my only concern about the Patriots look like they are poised to go back to the Super Bowl. And uh, I am just uh, excited to watch what, you know, what, what, like kind of what follows with the Patriots. What do they turn into? I think they're a team that could win the Super Bowl this year. They just got a little bit better with Mohamed Sanu. And uh, they clearly were better than the Jets on Monday Night Football. Now on Sunday, oh man, let me drink some, some, uh, some juice, some drink. You don't know what this is. Now this special drink I drink. And uh, I'm not telling anybody what it is. It's not too sweet. It's not alcoholic. Perfect for me, though, man. Makes me happy. Um, the Cowboys dominated the Eagles 37-10 to on Sunday. And a lot of people are really, really excited about the Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. He was 21 for 27 passing at 239 yards passing. One touchdown. Did have an interception. And I know that I'm supposed to be impressed with this performance. I'm supposed to go, oh, yeah. A, a lot of Cowboys fans have sent me messages over the last couple of days saying, see, Dak is elite. See, you're wrong about Dak Prescott. You're just a hater. I was not impressed with the Cowboys beating the Eagles 37-10. to 10. I mean, I guess it's a good team win. Dak Prescott didn't, like, surprise or super, you know, supremely impress me. Remember, your number one is running back Ezekiel Elliott. Had 22 carries for 111 yards. He had a lot of help. But the story is also not, ooh, look how good Dak is. The story is, oh my gosh, the Eagles are terrible, terrible on defense. I mean, really, they were awful in all phases of the game. I felt, you know, their quarterback, first of all, I don't mean to burst your bubbles, Cowboys fans, but this is not an impressive win. This the Cowboys beating the Eagles is not some impressive win that needs to be celebrated. If you're a Cowboys fan and you're celebrating beating the Eagles, I get it, first of all, because it's a division rivalry and Cowboys fans and Eagles fans hate each other. But if you're a Cowboys fan who's like so excited and really celebrating your victory over the Eagles, you're wrong because it's just not that impressive of a win. First of all, Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz was 16 for 26 passing. He had 191 yards, one touchdown. But he had three turnovers. He had two fumbles and an interception. That's not good. And as much as I really want to come down really hard on Carson Wentz, say he's awful and terrible, the truth is his offensive line really struggled. There was constantly pressure in his face. And Cowboys fans need to realize and understand, yes, 
the Cowboys put up 37 points, and Amari Cooper had over 100 yards receiving. Ooh, it's so great. But the Eagles' secondary is terrible. Terrible. They have bad technique. They blow coverages often. They have guys wide open. So I'm not impressed with Dak Prescott having a solid game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, ugh, I, just, I just don't care. By the way, he had 239 yards passing. He had one touchdown and an interception. He didn't exactly shred them to pieces. That's not like the most incredible stat line I've ever heard. Dak did his job, and that's what he does. I don't hate Dak Prescott. In fact, I really like Dak Prescott. But Dak Prescott is an average quarterback. He's not elite. I've talked about him before. People get mad at me. Yes, I'm responding to Cowboys, people that hate me. I understand. I love Dak Prescott. He's a good leader. He does things right. He's very stable. He's never too high, never too low. But he's also definitely not never too great. He's just not elite. I know never too great is not a real good English saying. English is hard. But the point is, Dak is not a special elite quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. Very, very good. Not elite. And if anything, the way the Cowboys beat the Eagles offense just made that more evident to me. The Eagles are 27th in passing defense in the entire NFL. So I am not at all impressed with the Dallas Cowboys having a good game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I just, I, okay, great. I was more intrigued when, and more, really, it was more telling when Dak Prescott and the Cowboys struggled against the Saints and the Green Bay Packers, two actually really good defenses where Dak didn't show up and didn't have a great game. That's far more telling than Dak having an average game against a really bad secondary, the Philadelphia Eagles. Look ahead. If you're, if you're a Cowboys fan, look ahead. Week 10, week 11, and week 12. The Cowboys play the Vikings, the Lions, and then the Saints. Or excuse me, then the Patriots. <laughs> Week 10, 11, 12, the Cowboys play the Vikings, the Lions, and the New England Patriots, and Tom Brady. Good luck. Good luck with your great quarterback who's not elite. We'll see how he does against the New England Patriots in week 12. (laughs) I don't hate Dak. I like Dak. I think he's great. I hope he makes me look stupid. I hope Dak Prescott is incredible. I hope he shreds the New England Patriots. He just has like 500 yards passing, but there's no way he will. You know it. Uh, You know it. I know it. We all know it. Dak Prescott's not an elite quarterback. Stop fooling yourself. He's good, but his ceiling's pretty low, and he's not an elite quarterback. I I will eat. If he shreds the Patriots and throws for 500 yards, I will eat my words, but it's just not going to happen. Dak Prescott is an average quarterback. He's not elite. (laughs) Giants fan. Man, Cowboys fans are going to be so mad at me. They're just, ah! And I'm going to say, I'm... I'm honest. I, I call it like it is. That's the one thing, you know. My, my one thing you can always depend on from my show. I will always tell you exactly what I think and believe. I will never sugarcoat things. I'll never be dishonest. I will never lie to you. I have no reason to. That's the brand I've built. The brand i built is, hey, I say what I believe. I'm as honest as I can be. If I think I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. If I think I'm stupid, I'll say I'm stupid. If I think I'm really right, I'll say I think I'm really right. If I believe something strongly, I will. If I'm not sure about something, I'll say I'm not sure. But I always shoot straight. I will always tell you what I believe. And I do not believe Dak Prescott is an elite quarterback. You can, you just, I know you know I believe that because that's what I do. That's how this show works. All right. 
Let's talk about the New York Giants and the Arizona Cardinals. The battle of rookie quarterbacks, Kyler Murray versus Daniel Jones. Uh, the Cardinals won 27-21 to 21 over the Giants. And Kyler Murray was very, like, not, I mean, yes, he just wasn't shockingly good. Kyler Murray was 14 for 21 passing, had 104 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Here's what's really interesting to me. The Arizona Cardinals beat the Giants <laughs> running the ball. I, I was like, okay. And not even with their, their, not even with David Johnson, their number one running back, he was injured. He didn't play much. Chase Edmonds was the man. Chase Edmonds, the running back for the Arizona Cardinals, had 27 carries for 126 yards. By the way, Chase Edmonds ran the ball 27 times. Kyler Murray threw the ball 21 times. The Cardinals running back ran the ball more times than Kyler Murray threw. And you know, I've talked about this air raid offense, but the Cowboys have made an, the the Cardinals have made an adjustment and said, "Hey, this running game, it works really well." They ran the ball 38 times for 156 yards, and I know some of those 38 carries are Kyler Murray running the ball and extending plays. But still, man, they really, really said, this is working. We're going to keep running the ball. However, just because they ran the ball a bunch of times doesn't mean they don't trust Kyler Murray. This was not a situation where the Cardinals are hiding the fact they have a rookie quarterback. I'm sure it helps Kyler to not have so much on his plate, not need to throw so much. However, the Cardinals do trust their quarterback, Kyler. They threw the ball on crucial downs, third and short. There was a fourth and three where they were throwing the ball. They believe in their quarterback, Kyler. But they found a lot of success running the ball, and they said, we're going to roll with this. We're going to keep going and keep running the ball. And it's really cool the adjustment the Arizona Cardinals have made with Cliff Kingsbury and their rookie quarterback. Now they play the Saints this upcoming week. Uh, I Man, I, I don't think they're going to have a lot of success. I'd be su- very surprised, in fact. If the Cardinals' offense was incredible against the New Orleans Saints, but we'll see. I just I'm really struggling to believe in the Cardinals this week. But I just in general, they're going to have a bad game this next week. I, I'm pretty sure of it. They're going to play the Saints, who are possibly the best team in the entire NFL. But if you're a Cardinals fan, don't lose hope because your team struggles against the Saints. Every team that plays against the Saints is going to have a hard time, especially with a rookie quarterback. But be thrilled. Be very happy if you're a Cardinals fan. Your coach has shown the willingness to make changes and to make adjustments and say, I'm not going to run my system into the ground. I'll do what it takes to win. He's willing to, an air raid coach who's known for throwing the ball a bunch of times, he threw the ball 54 times week one. An air raid coach, Cliff Kingsbury, ran the ball 38 times. Ran the ball more times than his quarterback threw with just one player, let alone the other guys. If you're a Cardinals fan, take great joy and be very happy. Our coach is willing to adapt and do what's necessary to win football games. Cliff Kingsbury is not a one-trick pony. He's smart. He's a great offensive coach. I like what the Arizona Cardinals are doing. Now, Giants rookie quarterback Daniel Jones was 22 for 35 passing at 223 yards, one touchdown, one interception, but he also fumbled. Three times. Two of those fumbles he lost. <sighs> in, in my estimation and what I see, Daniel Jones now officially has a fumbling problem. He has 13 turnovers this season. Six fumbles and seven interceptions. He has eight total touchdowns. Eight total touchdowns and 13 turnovers. That's not good. That's, in fact, it's very, very bad. And the, the rate he fumbles is really concerning. 
Now, he's a rookie. I understand what Daniel Jones is doing. It's forgivable. Fine. But we need to see progress in the future from Daniel Jones. I will say, though, the Giants' offensive line is, is rough to watch at times, man. Uh, they made that Arizona Cardinals defensive line look like superstars, and they're not in Arizona. So, you know, my, my key takeaways from this game is that, you know, number one, Kyler Murray is right now a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. Right now. Don't, don't take that quote out of context. For the time being, at this point in their career, Kyler's ahead of Daniel Jones. But, I mean, yeah, first of all, he's expected to be that. He's a number one overall pick. Daniel Jones is number six overall. But the Cardinals won not because of Kyler, but because the Giants' defense was awful. <laughs> the Giants' defense was awful at stopping the run. They had guys that were not in position. There was bad tackling. It was a mess. So I, I look at Kyler Murray and say Kyler Murray is ahead of Daniel Jones. But Daniel Jones is also not in bad shape. He needs time to develop. He's got a fumbling problem. He needs to really do a better job protecting the football. But he made some great throws. He also made some bad throws. But Daniel Jones, I have a lot of hope for. And, I mean, I, I really am encouraged watching Daniel Jones. Give him patience. And give the entire New York Giants organization patience. Their patience is a hard word to say if you have a, a voice like I do. <laughs> give Daniel Jones patience. I think he's, they're on the right track. I think the Giants organization is on the right track. And I like what they're doing in New York. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll continue talking about games from last week. We'll talk about the Saints and the Bears. We'll talk about the Ravens and the Seahawks. We'll talk about the Texans and the Colts. We'll talk about next week. Then coming up later, we'll talk about Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Oh, by the way, I said talk about Ask Zach. We'll do Ask Zach, one of my favorite segments. Now we can go. Now we can go to the break. Oh, right, we are back. Uh, I had to take a break real quick, first of all, before I live. I'm so excited to leave this place. I love it. I've lived here for four years. I'm, I'm really grateful for the time I've had here. Uh, the air conditioning unit has a mind of its own. It just turns on randomly. I don't know if you could hear it in the background. It gets very loud. Sometimes the microphone picks it up and I have to go turn it off. It stinks. Uh, also, my voice was just dying. I, I, I was really sick yesterday. I couldn't record yesterday. My voice, I couldn't talk. And so to be back now and be able to talk a little bit better, uh, I, I needed a break to, to just reju rejuvenate my voice, I guess is the word. Um, I'm having a hard time speaking English, but yeah, my job is to talk. Kind of a weird compromise. And I have, good, I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. So, on Sunday, <laughs> the New Orleans Saints beat the Bears 36-25 to in Chicago. It was a statement win to me. And you got to be very careful when you look at this game. The Bears scored two touchdowns in garbage time. The truth is the game was not close. It was at one point, you know, 36 to 10 from going into like with like four minutes left. The Bears made it 36 to 18 with two minutes and 30 seconds left. And they got another touchdown with 50 seconds left. Other than those two garbage time touchdowns, this game was a blowout. And those two touchdowns really helped Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky's final stat line look a lot better than it really was. He was not good. Mitchell Trubisky was not good on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. I said this was a key matchup. I said, look, he struggled in the past. He's got to do good against his defense. And he didn't. He didn't do well. 
He finished 34 for 54 with uh, 251 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a 62% completion percentage. Again, a lot of those completions came at the very end of the game in garbage time. And, uh, you know, he missed a lot of guys wide open on, on key downs. There was a third and five that stood out to me. I was like, man, that's your best effort? That's awful. And at one point, the Bears ran an RPL. Mitchell Trubisky fakes. The, you know, he, he does the read. He has a guy wide open. They're looking at each other. They're making eye contact. And Trubisky doesn't throw the ball. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's there. Throw the ball. I didn't. I just, I am so frustrated watching Mitchell Trubisky. Because again, this is a Bears team capable of winning a lot of football games. And it's, it's just not going to happen here. It's not going to happen with Trubisky. He isn't awful, but he's not good enough. The Bears cannot win a Super Bowl with him at quarterback, and that's sad because their roster, I really think, could win a Super Bowl. Matt Nagy is very similar to Matt LaFleur, the quarterback in Green Bay. The coach in Green Bay, excuse me. If Matt Nagy had a great quarterback, everyone would say, oh my gosh, Matt Nagy's a genius. He's incredible, this and that. But he has to change his play calling. He's limited. He's behind. He's stuck. He is trapped with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback, a quarterback who can't execute and can't make anybody look good. I know Matt Nagy's an offensive genius. I've seen it before. And people are like, Matt Nagy must not be that great of a coach. Mitchell Trubisky's terrible. Yeah, exactly. Mitchell Trubisky's terrible. That's why Matt Nagy looks bad. Matt Nagy has his hands tied. He can't call plays he wants to play. He can't throw the ball downfield. He can't do anything he wants to. He's literally trapped with a bad quarterback. And they were behind a lot. A lot of people are complaining, well, you know, why didn't the Bears run the ball more? I'm, I guess I'm becoming a, a Matt Nagy defender. This isn't even in my notes. I just remember reading comments that are like, well, Matt Nagy didn't run the ball. It's like, <laughs> they were down significantly. When you're down by a lot of points, you got to throw the ball because running the ball doesn't help you. Here's the thing. The Bears need to move on from Mitchell Trubisky. If they don't, they're going to waste the good years they have left with that defense. Being a, truly, being a true Bears fan. I'm not a Bears fan. But if you are a true Bears fan, what that means is you're not blindly loyal and blindly supporting your quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. If you're a true Bears fan, that means you want what's best for your team. Are you a Mitchell Trubisky fan or are you a Bears fan? Because right now, those two camps are not working in the same direction. A Mitchell Trubisky fan does not have the same interests as a Bears fan. A Bears fan wants to win games, and winning games and winning a Super Bowl means getting rid of Mitchell Trubisky. I don't like saying that. He seems like a great guy who's done a lot for the city of Chicago with organizations and giving his money away, all kinds of stuff. Seems like a good human. I don't like saying this. I don't like being mean to Mitchell Trubisky Well, because what I'm saying is a personal I guess it's personal that stinks I'm calling for the guy's job that's hard I don't like living with that but let's be honest what's best for the Bears is not Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback the Saints dominated the Bears they dominated them and the Bears roster has lost faith in their quarterback I don't care what people are saying. I don't care what anybody on the Bears roster is giving from a quote. People, Bears fans will say, well, you know, this guy said this and this guy said this and don't send me quotes because quotes are lies. People say whatever they have to to the media because nobody trusts the media. I'll tell you what I see. Here's what I see. 
The Bears defense doesn't think Mitchell Trubisky is good enough to beat a good team. The Bears defense struggled at the end of the game and wilted against Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints offense. That means, hey, the Bears said, you know what? We have no chance. We can't win this game. It doesn't matter how much you want to. It's internally, do you believe you have a chance? And the Bears looked like internally, they're going to keep fighting, but they lost hope deep inside their hearts and said, you know what? No matter what we do on this team, Mitchell Trubisky is not good enough to help us beat the Saints. We have no chance in this game. That's why the Bears gave up 36 points. Their great defense gave up 36 points because they lost hope. I know it's silly. I know far too often broadcasters talk about hope and these ideas that are like very, very like, that's not analysis of football, but so much of the game of football is emotion. There's emotional swings and emotional tides in games. Does your team believe they have a chance? It matters in every phase of the game. The offensive line, guys, it's effort. Your effort diminishes when you don't think you have a chance to win the game. And the minute the Bears realized, oh, our quarterback isn't good enough to help us win the game, even their best effort, what they thought was their best effort, they couldn't put out there because they just lost hope deep inside. I know that's silly. I know it makes people mad. Bears fans are furious, I'm sure, listening to this. But Mitchell Trubisky is not the answer with Chicago. Now, how about the Saints? The Saints made a bunch of plays all over the field. Their special teams had a blocked punt. They were fantastic. They had two fumble recoveries on defense. And by the way, the Saints are about to get Drew Brees back. <laughs> it's terrifying. I think it's very possible we get the Saints and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Two really good teams. The two best teams in football to me. I said at the beginning of the year, enjoy Tom Brady this year. And enjoy Drew Brees this year because we don't know when we're ever going to get to see them again. Tom Brady sold his house. There's rumors he's going to get you know move on from the Patriots after this year. Whether he retires, I don't think he's going to retire. I think the truth is that eventually the Patriots are going to say, Tom, you're old and we need to move on for the sake of our franchise. But the Saints, this team has it all. Latavius Murray, their other running back, a guy who was a backup in Minnesota last year, who had some good carries and did some good stuff. Alvin Kamara is the number one back for the Saints. Uh, this guy, Latavius Murray, came in the game, had 119 yards rushing on Sunday. The Saints offense, their defense, their special teams, every phase of this Saints team is incredible. This Saints team has it all. And so right now, I look at the Saints and go, it's probably the Saints and the Patriots in the Super Bowl in February. Now, maybe it's the Saints and the Colts, but New Orleans is the team to beat in the NFC. All right, uh, on to another game. The Ravens beat the Seahawks 30-16 to in Seattle. What a game. It was fun, by the way. You know, it was a dark, misty day in Seattle. One of those just rainy games where both teams are trying to run the ball heavily. And this was a big win for the Ravens. Both teams are now, the Ravens and the Seahawks are both now 5-2. And, two. and uh, you, you can't mention this game without pointing out that the Ravens safety Earl Thomas is a former Seahawk. He left the game. Uh, he, he left the Seahawks on bad terms, and he left a game injured last year, flipping the Seahawks the bird, <laughs> which is funny because their mascot is bird. I don't, sorry, I'm such a nerd. That's so stupid for me to appreciate. I felt good for Earl Thomas. I live in the Northwest. I felt good for him getting a win over his former team, who he felt screwed him over. Like, good for him. That's got to feel vindicating and awesome. Now, a few things stand out to me 
when I watched the Saints, uh, excuse me, when I watched the Seahawks and the Ravens. Number one was Lamar Jackson's ability to run. You know, he was nine for 20 passing at 143 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. And there's a lot of press about Lamar Jackson. Can he throw? Like, and I think it's getting silly. Well, you got to acknowledge Lamar Jackson's ability to run is incredible. He had 14 carries for 116 yards. Oh my gosh. The way he ran the ball was so impressive. And let's go back to him throwing the ball. You know, he's better throwing today than he was this time a year ago. He's better this year than he was last year. And my prediction is he'll be better next year than he is this year. Lamar Jackson is on an upward trajectory as a quarterback. He gets better every time I watch him. He's just getting a little bit better. You got to allow, you stop criticizing Lamar Jackson. Can he throw? Stop, just stop it. Like I, I, I think I did a segment earlier this year where I even talked about it. And I am curious to see how Lamar Jackson does against better teams, against the Patriots, against, I think they play, I can't remember their schedule. I don't know it off the top of my head. But I know there's tough games coming up for the Ravens. How will Lamar Jackson play against really great defenses? I don't know. But stop worrying about his ability to throw the ball. He can throw. He's getting better every time. But his running ability is awesome. And I really, really love the way that the Ravens have embraced his ability with his legs. His legs are a big part of his game. I mean, if a guy can dunk, let him dunk. If a guy's great at something, how about you use it instead of trying to hide it or lock it away? I met a coach who coached against Lamar in college. And uh, he said the thing that's most impressive about Lamar Jackson is not his top-end speed. Lamar Jackson's fast, but his top-end speed is not the impressive thing. It's how quickly he can get there. His acceleration. You blink and he's gone. You blink and he's suddenly at top speed. He's not overwhelmingly fast once he gets there. He's, he's very fast. Don't get me wrong. But it's how quickly he can accelerate and turn the corner. I saw an example of this. It's third and 10. He avoids a sack. He runs away to the left. And then he just turns the corner, runs for not only the first down, but for like 20-something yards, maybe 30 yards. He just turns the corner and he is gone. Lamar Jackson is special running the ball. And then he slid. Lamar Jackson's progressing not only as a thrower. Every time I watch Lamar Jackson, his anticipation gets a little bit better. And his accuracy gets a little bit more consistent. Not great. There's still room to improve for sure. But he's also learning how to slide and protect his body. I love watching Lamar Jackson. He's a star in this league. And uh, I think he needs a little bit more love. Now, the Ravens' defense was also really solid. They held Russell Wilson to 27 yards rushing. What they did, the Ravens' defense, was a really solid job limiting Russell from running around. He, didn't, he wasn't able to extend plays the way he normally does. He wasn't able to run as well. They tracked him really well and did a good job containing him in and around the pocket. And the new addition to the Ravens' offense, or Ravens' defense, excuse me, Marcus Peters is a cornerback that the Ravens traded for from the Rams very recently. Immediately, he made a big impact. So Russell Wilson was 20 for 41 passing, had a not good completion percentage, 48%. One touchdown and one interception. We'll talk about Marcus Peters in a minute. The key difference in this game, other than Lamar Jackson's ability to run the ball, the key difference were the Seahawks' two turnovers. DK Metcalf had a fumble. That led to a Ravens touchdown. And Marcus Peters, the new addition to the Ravens, had a pick six off of Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson 
was phenomenal in this game against the Seahawks. His ability to run was huge. And then the Seattle Seahawks turnovers that cost them points twice led to touchdowns. That was the difference in this Seahawks and Ravens game. Finally, uh, let's talk about the Colts. Oh, oh man. Um, the Colts beat the Texans 30-23 to on Sunday. And the story to me is obviously the Colts quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. Remember, he was the backup at the beginning of the year. And then Andrew Luck retired. That, that curveball nobody expected. On Sunday, he was 26 for 39 passing at 326 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have a, he did have a fumble. But I just want to say, if anybody doubts Jacoby Bursett, stop. Please stop. You're, you're foolish and silly. He's phenomenal. He's really impressive to me. This season, Jacoby Bursett now has four touchdowns, three interceptions, 1,388 yards passing, and a 65% completion percentage. And his team is now 4-2 and two with back-to-back wins over Patrick Mahomes and now Deshaun Watson. He's phenomenal. I love it. And this is a big win for the Colts. Their defense played great. I was really curious to watch what kind of coverage the Colts defense played. I think it would have been very silly for the Colts to try to play man coverage. So when the Colts played the Kansas City Chiefs a couple weeks ago, what worked for them was man coverage and really you know, holding down, playing press man coverage against the Chiefs because they have very limited wide receivers. Well, that wouldn't work if you're playing against the Texans because the Texans have DeAndre Hopkins and Kiki Kuti and Will Fuller and Kenny Stills. And by the way, it's funny, you know, the, the Colts, in spite of changing their coverage, the, you know, two receivers for the Texans, DeAndre Hopkins and Kenny Stills still had both each over 100 yards receiving. But they played a lot of zone coverage. They made a change. They didn't play man coverage. And all things considered, playing against a great quarterback and a great offense, I really think that the Colts defense did a great job. Here's what really impressed me. Not only was it their versatility, you know, the ability to go from playing fantastic man coverage to now playing fantastic zone coverage, but the way they got pressure with their defensive line, with a four-man rush, with a five-man rush, oh my gosh, it's so hard to beat the Colts because they can get pressure without sending extra guys after the quarterback. Their, their front seven is incredible. And just, I, I, I am so impressed with this Colts defense. They're a force to be reckoned with, and they're really scary. They're just really, really good. They're a defense that, with Jacoby Brissett playing really, really well, and this great defense, Jacoby Brissett's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Absolutely. Think of quarterbacks that have won, a defensive-led team that's won a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco with the Ravens. I'd take Jacoby Brissett over Joe Flacco any day. There was a lot of teams in the past that have, you know, the, the Bears got to the Super Bowl with a great defense, but Rex Grossman, their quarterback, wasn't good enough. Jacoby Brissett is good enough. He's not the most impressive quarterback in the entire NFL. I will admit that. Jacoby Brissett is not an elite quarterback, but he's somewhere a little bit above the Dak Prescott territory. Jacoby Brissett's the real deal. He's good enough to win a Super Bowl. He might be better. I just don't know him well enough. And so I am so impressed with him. This Colts defense combined with Jacoby Brissett and their awesome, well-designed offense by Frank Reich. Man, the Colts are a scary force to be reckoned with. And I just, I, I am concerned for anybody who plays against them coming up. I will also say, you know, Texans fans are going to come and this. They're very angry. They will say that the refs stole a touchdown from them. 
there was a play where Deshaun Watson threw the ball as he was getting sacked. He released the ball. He got taken to the ground. Incidentally, the receiver caught the ball and ran for a touchdown pass. It was like they were on the red zone. It's very short. It's not like he ran 70 yards. He ran like two yards was in the end zone. But the refs said they blew the play dead. So the Texans kicked the field goal instead. And you can say, well, the refs stole a touchdown from the Texans. Ah, here's a twist in the story. However, on a touchdown later in the game, there was a play where the Texans scored a touchdown on a play where they had multiple guys moving. And not everybody was set at the line of scrimmage. And they snapped the ball in spite of not having everybody set. And it wasn't called. The refs could have easily taken that touchdown off the board. So it's bad refereeing either way. It's bad officiating on both plays. But in my mind, they offset each other. You can say, well, we got robbed out of a touchdown and we got the, the Colts got robbed out of stopping a touchdown. So the two of them combined, it, both plays are horrible officiating. But if you're a Texans fan, don't complain that your team got screwed out of a touchdown because the Colts defense got screwed out of stopping a touchdown when you had multiple people moving at the line of scrimmage and the ball got snapped, which should have been, uh, I forget the, what's the word? You know, this happens sometimes where you're just blanking on the name of th- something. Someone will comment the name of this penalty. I'm so sorry. I don't know it. I'm having a moment where you blank. It's my job to talk. It's so hard. The point is this, is that the, really to me, the story of this game is Jacoby Brissett is phenomenal. The Colts defense is terrifying. And the Colts are legit. They have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I was really very, uh, what's the word, skeptical. When Andrew Luck retired, I was like, yeah, this team, like, eh, I don't know what to make of them. The truth is the Colts are really good. They've beaten good teams. And when you look ahead at the rest of their schedule, they have like three games that are tough. That's it. The rest of their games are kind of cupcake games you can win. Like every team, every game in the NFL is a good game. Every team has a chance every week because that's how the NFL works. It's not like college football where you're having Clemson play New Mexico State out of Albuquerque. You know, it's every team is good and capable of winning a football game. But if you look ahead at the Colts schedule, they have... You know, they play at the Texans in November. They play at the Saints in December. Then after the play, they play the Saints, they play the Panthers. There's like three games that are tough left for the Colts. After that, oh man, they're in great shape. And so, you know, the Colts are sitting pretty. I think they're likely a either an 11-5 and five team, a 12-4 and four team, maybe even a 13-3 and three team. But the Colts are in the conversation as a playoff team and definitely should be in the conversation as a Super Bowl team. They're incredible. To me, the NFL is going to boil down to the Colts, the Saints, the Patriots, and then uh, like maybe maybe the Chiefs if Patrick Mahomes does something incredible. I think the Packers are in that conversation too. But those are the teams I think have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And the Colts right now are in the top three with the Patriots, the Saints, and, and then of course the Colts. I was really, really impressed with what they did this week and the work they've done all year. They're just a really good football team. Okay, real quick, I want to talk about week eight of the NFL season. Uh, it's not a great week. Week eight of the NFL season is not a great week of football games. Sure, there will be some surprise games where nobody can expect, you know, I don't know, like the maybe the, the Redskins beat the Vikings on Thursday night football, but I just don't see it. I, I see a lot of games that look like mismatches this week. So that odd week in the NFL where you go, none of these games are that great. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Redskins play at the Vikings. That's Case Keenum and Adrian Peterson going back to Minnesota. But it's still going to be a beatdown. The Vikings are significantly better than the Washington Redskins. You have the Broncos or the Colts. That could get really ugly really fast. 
The Cardinals have a rookie quarterback, Kyler Murray. They're going into New Orleans to play the Saints. That's a that's a that's a mismatch. And then Sunday Night Football, the game that could have been amazing but won't be, is the Packers at the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't have their star quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. He's out for the next couple weeks with an injury. And so really, week eight of the NFL season has a bunch of duds. A bunch of games that I'm like, I don't really care. It's not that interesting and not that compelling of a storyline. However, there are three games that I am curious to watch and excited to watch. Number one is the Jets at the Jaguars. I know you're like, what, Zach? Two toilet bowl teams. This, you know, the Jets are one and five. The Jaguars are three and four. What are you talking about? This is not an interesting game. Here's why it's interesting. It's Sam Darnold versus Gardner Minshew. Two quarterbacks who have had bright moments this year, who have kind of fallen off, and we've kind of, like, everybody doubts Sam Darnold. He had a horrible game on Monday Night Football. He has an opportunity to respond here in a big way. And then you have Gardner Minshew, Minshew mania, which probably ended. A lot of people are skeptical of him. So I'm excited to see, excited to see, exceeded. I'm excited to see what happens. No, I'm excited to see what happens between the Jets and the Jaguars. It's going to be really fun. And I I just want to, I think it's going to be a good game with two interesting quarterbacks who've had struggles and highs and lows. And I want to watch it. Number two is the Panthers at the 49ers. This is why this game is interesting. The Panthers are 4 and 2, the 49ers are 6 and 0. I just want to see how Kyle Allen, the Panthers quarterback does against a legit really good defense. The 49ers defense is terrifying. And he should struggle. Kyle Allen is going to struggle on Sunday. How does he respond when he gets punched in the mouth? That's what I want to learn about Kyle Allen this weekend. He's going to have bad moments. He's going to throw a pick six. He's going to fumble. He's going to do bad. But how does Kyle Allen respond in that bad moment when he struggles a little bit? That's what I want to see. A lot of Cam Newton fans are doubting Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen replaced Cam Newton when Cam got hurt. And then Kyle Allen's had some success. A lot of people that like Cam Newton are like, oh my gosh, Kyle Allen's terrible, overrated. A lot of people really don't like Kyle Allen. He has a chance here to prove himself to Panthers fans, to people in the region of South Carolina, the state of South Carolina, the city of Charlotte, the city of Charlotte. Because one time I said the city of Carolina because I'm a dimwit. <laughs> I said the wrong thing. The city of Charlotte has a, is very curious to see how Kyle Allen does on Sunday against a really good 49ers defense. He has a chance to prove himself. I can't wait to see what happens. The third game I'm curious to watch on Sunday. Uh, it's a game that I just have, I guess you would call it morbid curiosity. (laughs) Uh, it's the Browns at the Patriots. It should get very ugly. I think it's going to be a blowout, uh, by a lot. I think the Patriots are like two touchdown favorites. The story here is struggling Browns quarterback, Baker Mayfield against an elite, incredible, really good Patriots defense. Oh, and don't forget, (laughs) Bill Belichick has a special hatred for the Cleveland Browns organization because he was once their head coach, and they fired him. So I I really think the storyline of this game is how badly do the Browns get beaten on Sunday? (laughs) I know it's kind of morbid. It's kind of wrong to, like, root. I'm not rooting for a team to get blown out, but they're going to get blown out. So let's see how bad it can get. 
personally, I hope Baker does well. I like Baker. You know, I got to say all that stuff because Browns fans will get mad at me. And I do genuinely, I genuinely like Baker. I hope he has a great game. But he's going to get killed on Sunday against the Patriots. And uh, I just, I wonder how bad, I wonder how bad it's going to get. And now, for the record, I hope I'm dead wrong. I hope Baker has five touchdowns. And I mean, I, I guess their talent is there, right? The talent in, in, in Cleveland is there. But I learned my lesson last week when I said the Jets had a chance to upset the Patriots. No way do the Browns have a chance to upset the Patriots. It's not going to happen. The best they can hope is that Baker Mayfield can hold his own on Sunday. So those are the three games I'm excited to watch. There's not a lot of good games. There's a lot of duds this weekend if you're an NFL fan. However, those three games, the Browns at the Patriots, the Panthers, what is it, the Packers? Not that game. Oh, man. It's the Jets at the Jaguars, the Panthers at the 49ers in San Francisco, man. Oh, in Santa Clara, I guess. The Panthers, Kyle Allen against the 49ers in Santa Clara. And the Browns at the Patriots. Those are the three games I'm really excited to watch during week eight of this NFL season. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break, but before I do, we'll take a break, We'll do, and then we'll do Ask Zach. But before I take a break, uh, I do this topic every single episode. Oh. <sighs> you're struggling please go get help please go get help um three years ago my younger brother took his life it was heartbreaking it sucked the worst thing i've ever been through by far and i learned two really painful lessons when that happened number one is that if you're struggling go get help go ask for help my brother never told anybody he was having a hard time and uh one time i went home and i found him dead on the floor and it was painful and awful and I hated it. It just was the worst thing I've ever been through. You know, the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, please go get help. But the other part of it that's sad, you know, one of my, the, other, the second failure and the second lesson I learned from my brother's death is that I didn't make it clear to him that we could talk, that my door was open, that, you know, my point is... If, be very clear to the people in your life. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're there for them. Tell them that you, the door is open. You will listen to them. They're having a hard time. I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my little brother. Hey, man, I'm here for you. I love you. If you're having a hard time, let's talk about it. Come over. Let's talk. So, man, if you're struggling, go get help. 1-800-273-8255. And then be clear to the people in your life make it clear to them hey i love you i'm here for you if you're having a hard time my door is open you can have a hard conversation with me we don't need to just talk about sports all the time guys my name is zach schaumler i'm gonna take a short break when i return we'll do ask zach i will be right back oh right we are back um i just want to apologize real quick i have no idea how this episode sounds if it sounds terrible I'm sorry. I hope you understand that my voice is just not at 100% today. I'm having a hard time talking. I'm doing the best I can. I know my job is to talk, and so you know I, I'm doing. I'm just doing the best I can. And if it sounds weird, I'm sorry. And I, I, I will be better tomorrow, and be better the next day. Uh, I also want to say I got a haircut today. I hope you like it. I like it. I just saw it when I went to the bathroom, and I was like, "Oh, hey, Zach, you look not terrible. I kind of like it." So I don't. I don't know why I brought that up. I just was like looking in the mirror, and I was like, "You know what?" You forgot to acknowledge the haircut at the beginning of the show. Someone's going to comment about it. So I might as well comment. But it's too late. We're an hour into the show. No way that 
Yeah. Someone already commented. I'm sure a bunch of people already commented it. Um, it's time for Ask Zach. Ask Zach is the way I end every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. It Please do. It pays my rent. It's very helpful to me. It makes a huge impact on my life. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions to me on Patreon. I only accept questions on Patreon. You can send them to me through Patreon's DM service. You can send them to me. You can comment on a post I do on Patreon. And I will not guarantee to read your question on the show. But I will guarantee if you submit a question to me for Ask Zach, I will look at it with my eyeballs. My own eyeballs. I'm the person that does it. I look at it. I prepare it. It's fun. I, I do all the work for this show. And I pick the top couple questions at the end of every single episode to discuss on this show. I want to start today with a question from Patrick. Patrick writes in, he says, Hey Zach, I love your show and I'm really happy for you seeing the podcast grow and how it has evolved since I first listened to it. My question today is, we're halfway through the college football season and in my opinion, there are a couple players who have a shot on winning the Heisman this year. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Tua, and Justin Fields are playing really good football, but I think Jonathan Taylor could, Taylor could also possibly win it. Who do you think deserves to take the Heisman Trophy home at this point? As an LSU fan, I personally would love to see Burrow win it, and I think he could also be the first quarterback taken in the next draft. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Greetings from Germany, Patrick. Patrick, uh, I, think, I think you hit it right on that. Hit the nail right on the head. That's a great question. I think the five names you brought up, Tua, Jalen Hurts, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Burrow. Why am I blanking on the last one? Joe Burrow, Justin Fields from Ohio State. Those are the five names I would also throw into the bucket and say these these five guys really have a chance to win the Heisman Trophy. If the season ends today, Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. He's been phenomenal, been incredible. He's the second leading passer in the nation. He's got 2,484 yards passing. He's only behind the Washington State quarterback, Anthony Gordon. And that's not really even fair. Washington State's numbers are always skewed because they have Mike Leach's air raid system, which means that you know the guy at Washington State's thrown the ball 400, or 347 times, which is over 100 more than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's thrown the ball 218 times. So when you're throwing the ball that much, of course your numbers are going to be significantly higher I think it's so imp- like incredible, actually, that an LSU quarterback is what, who we're talking about as a Heisman candidate. I cannot remember the last time Ohio State had a real, true, legitimate quarterback and did phenomenal. It's a testament to the coaching, and it's a testament to Joe Burrow working his butt off and making it happen. He's been so impressive. He's got the best completion percentage in the nation, a 79.4% completion percentage. He's also got the most... Touchdown passes in all of college football. 29. He's tied with the quarterback at Washington State, Anthony Gordon, with 29 touchdowns, which leads the nation. Can he win the Heisman? The key to me for Joe Burrow is November 9th. Alabama against LSU. Can Joe Burrow beat Alabama? That's the question. The Heisman's down to five guys, right? It's Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, at Oklahoma, to a tongue of a low, the quarterback at Alabama, Justin Fields, Ohio State's quarterback, Jonathan Taylor, the Wisconsin running back, and obviously Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow beating Alabama would be his Heisman moment. 
It's not just numbers and statistics that people care about. They want a good story. They want this. They want that. They want a moment they can remember that is, quote, the Heisman moment. It's a big thing with the Heisman Trophy. Joe Burrow beating Alabama is the difference between him being the Heisman Trophy winner and then being the Davey O'Brien Award winner. He's going to win the Davey O'Brien Trophy. That's the best quarterback in college football. Goes to the goes to that every year. Jalen Hurts will not have a Heisman moment. I look at Jalen Hurts' career so far, season so far. He had one big game against Texas where they won. It wasn't really that close at the end. But Jalen Hurts' team, Oklahoma, has five games left. Then his conference championship, of course. He doesn't have time to have some big crazy moment. He, he's going to play against Kansas State, Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State. They're going to have five blowouts. None of, the, none of those games are going to be memorable moments. You go, wow, remember when Jalen Hurts did this? Because you're not going to watch a blowout when it's 46-7. to <laughs> Oklahoma over Iowa State. I know they're ranked. Sorry, that's kind of mean. Oklahoma over Kansas State, maybe. You're just not going to remember that game. Justin Fields at Ohio State has a better chance because he has three memorable games coming up. Ohio State will play Wisconsin, Penn State, and then at Michigan at the Big House in Ann Arbor. The one benefit Justin Fields has over Jalen Hurts is that nationally, at a national level in America, people care about these matchups. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. Far more than they care about Oklahoma, Kansas State. There's not a great, there's not a great draw there emotionally. If Justin Fields, even if he wins with blowouts, if Justin Fields blows out Michigan in Ann Arbor, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, he destroys Michigan. That's a Heisman moment that people will go, wow. Remember when on national TV, Justin Fields did that? That's a Heisman moment. However, Jalen or Justin Fields' numbers, the Ohio State quarterback's numbers, are not as good as Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow left Ohio State. So that's an even better story. He's a transfer. Ooh, the heartstrings. Now, Tua Tangavaloa, Tua Tangavaloa, quarterback at Alabama, he's hurt. Which means, number one, he's going to miss a game which will hurt his numbers. It'll hurt his statistics. He has surgery on his right ankle. He's going to miss the Arkansas game. They have a bye week after that. Then they play the week after that. They play LSU. So that means it's possible Tua will not be 100% against LSU. That's also going to hurt him. He's playing hurt. It's hard to be incredible when you're kind of hurt. So between missing time and playing hurt, it's going to hurt Tua's numbers and bring him down. And then finally, you have Jonathan Taylor. I hate to say this, a running back has no chance of winning the Heisman Trophy this year. There's too many good quarterbacks. There's no chance that Wisconsin's running back, a team that's already lost one game, their running back is not going to somehow outshine these four incredible quarterbacks. And so yeah, I, I just think maybe, maybe Jonathan Taylor goes to New York if, you, if, you're get really, if you're really close to winning. They bring you to New York, you have a fun trip. He could make the trip to New York, that'd be cool. But that's the best it gets for Jonathan Taylor. He's not going to win the Heisman Trophy. Right now, however, it is Joe Burrow's Heisman Trophy to lose. Joe Burrow's the front runner. I think he's probably going to win. But it's going to depend on can he win that game against Alabama on November 9th. That will be his Heisman moment if, if he wins. All right, the next question is actually not a question at all. It's from Christopher. It's, a, it's just a cool story. Christopher wrote in and he said, Hey, Zach, 
I heard you wanted to hear about that European Falcons fan and how he became a fan, and I thought I just wanted to tell you my story. I have previously written in with questions, and I hope I was your first European Patreon. <laughs> Maybe you were, man. I, I really appreciate your support, Christopher. He, Christopher says, but I am Danish. I, I am Danish, but I used to live in the U.S. My dad was stationed outside of Tampa, Florida in 2005 when Katrina hit New Orleans. My dad has some friends that lived in New Orleans, the New Orleans area, and we, I was 10, so I didn't really have a say. We decided to go and help them as much as we could. So we went to New Orleans and helped people. So we went there. We helped rebuild and fix some houses, donating some food, etc. I wasn't much into anything else other than soccer at the given time. But due to the gratitude of the friends, we were, we were given tickets to the first game back in New Orleans. It was just an amazing experience, and the atmosphere was incredible. To see how a city underwent such trauma and responded in that way was astonishing for me, though it was something I didn't realize until years later. The game, the people, and the city made me hooked on the Saints and everything in New Orleans. Now I'm hoping to study my master's at Tulane in New Orleans just to come back and stay in the city for a longer time. Love the show and everything you do. Keep up the great work, Christopher. That's an incredible story. I just read it to you. I, I, I've never really read that fully through in detail before. That's really cool. That, that makes sense to me. You had an incredible experience. Can you imagine being in <laughs> the Dome in New Orleans the first game back? Oh, my gosh. It'd be incredible. I, I cannot blame you at all for being a Saints fan. And by the way, it's a good time to be a Saints fan. That's a cool emotional story. I, I totally get it, man. That's awesome. I'm happy for, happy for you, Christopher. And your story of how you became a, te- a fan of your team is cool. If we want to do this more, I would enjoy. I would love that. If once uh, an episode during Ask Zach, I read the story of how someone became a fan of their team. That'd be so cool because I'm fascinated by that. I'm, I don't have a favorite team. I don't, I, don't, I don't really get it. So if you have a favorite team, send me a story. Say, this is why I'm a fan of blank team. I would love to read that out loud. I would. I did, it's fun to me. I'm a nerd about that stuff. So please send me more stories about why you're a fan. And tell me why you're a fan of your favorite team. What happened? What got you there? Tell me that story. I'll read it on the show. I want to do it once an episode. That'd be really fun. Thank you for your story, Christopher. That was amazing. Billa says, hey, Zach, I love your show and I listen to your videos while driving to work all the time. I am a Giants fan, and my patience is running very thin with Pat Shermer. His win-loss record is terrible, and when you see his ridiculously bad game management decisions, it's easy to see why. In your opinion, when is it time to give up on a coach, and how much time should a franchise give a coach to put his system in place, even if the results aren't there? Uh, Honestly, I want to see Pat Shermer at least one more year in New York, this year and next year. I understand that New York sports fans are very impatient, that's how they operate. But I, I really feel like the Giants are building something. I love their young quarterback, Daniel Jones. Uh, he's a kid who makes a lot of mistakes, but he has a bright future. For all the bad moments, there are also good moments and a lot of really exciting moments. I go, there's something special about Daniel Jones. But you got to understand, rebuilding a team, rebuilding the Giants, it's going to take a lot of time. That requires patience. And I think that the Giants have the right guy. I like Pat Schirmer. He had a year wasted trying to save Eli Manning. And Eli Manning, unsavable. He's, he's old as hell. He's just, it's time. Now the Giants have a young quarterback. They just need to have the patience to allow Daniel Jones to progress and get better. 
So I, I think the Giants need to have a little more patience and give Pat Shermer a little more time. Now, I will say, his situational errors, clock management, I actually don't know what they are. I, I'm sorry. I wish I did. I would love it. Hey, Bill, if you sent me, it's B-I-L-U-H. It's Bill. I, I think it's how you say that. Send me your examples. If you have examples, if any Giants fans listening have examples of Pat Shermer being bad situationally, send them to me. I, I, I am happy to discuss them on the show. I'll do a whole topic about Pat Shermer's problems and situational awareness. I'll break them down if you want. But I don't know them, so you got to send them to me. If you send them to me, I will discuss in detail Pat Shermer's mistakes and errors with situational and clock management. Carl writes into the show. Carl asks this. Carl says, which sports do you think are the best slash worst to watch in person versus at home? Uh, the number one unappreciated sport that's incredible, incredible to watch live is hockey. Hockey is so good live. It's hard. I'll be honest. I have a hard time. I don't like watching it on TV even a little bit because so much of hockey is the experience of you're there. And when guys crash into the wall and the boards, you're there and you can hear it and it echoes throughout the stadium and you have your friends and it's loud and the crowd like hockey live. Man, is it a special experience that just does not get translated well over the TV. It just doesn't. Uh, I think broadcasters are boring. I think it's hard to track. Honestly, like I hate saying this, but it's true. It's difficult to track the puck when they're zoomed in. It's really tight. Live, though, it's great. Live hockey, amazing. I've never, it's so bizarre to me how when I watch hockey on TV, as a guy who, by the way, no one knows this, I love skateboarding and hockey. They're like my two favorite sports that I never, ever talk about on Strong Opinion Sports. I would actually do a topic about Nigel Houston. He's like the Tom Brady of skateboarding. He's incredible. But hockey's awesome. Hockey's got a great culture. I like it. And it's weird how when I go to a game, zero problem tracking the puck. Not even a little bit. And then when when I watch a game on TV, I feel like a a guy who's never played video games before is trying to understand a first-person shooter. I'm like, I cannot follow this at all. I'm lost. I can't find the puck. It's not that bad. Like I, I can watch hockey on TV, but it's just not an enjoyable experience to me. To me, you got to be at a hockey game to really get everything out of it. Like, And one of my dreams, by the way, I really, really want to go to a Stanley Cup final. I think it would be incredible. I watched the Stanley Cup finals this year. Game 7 in Boston. I was like, oh, man, I would kill to be there. That energy of that Boston crowd, even though they lost, was awesome. So I I just that's the, the unappreciated thing I've never talked about is how much I love going to hockey games. It's so much fun. Baseball and hockey, they're the two games you got to be there. Baseball is tolerable on TV. Uh, good baseball, like the, the game, game one of the World Series, oh my gosh, incredible. So much fun. It just, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. But the problem is baseball is consistently not entertaining on, on TV. But if you, all, if you go to a game, I always love going to a baseball game. Hot dog, my friends, it's not even about the game. We're just chilling, watching baseball. It's great. The NFL is the best product on TV, and I think actually the NFL is better to watch at home. I'd rather go to a game. I'd rather not go to a game. I'd rather watch a game on my couch than I would get out of my house and go to watch a game. I don't. I don't have any interest in going to the NFL game. I don't. Replays better. You have your own food. It's not cold. Everything, and and then the TV experience, the way that they break down the game, is so much better in person. And not to mention, I don't like crowds. I'm very weird and an introvert, and I don't want to be around people. <laughs> but uh, 
especially people that are dumb and don't understand football yelling. Oh my gosh. I went to a Super Bowl party last year. There's this guy who just yells things at the TV who has no idea what he's talking. Actually, that's not true. I was at my dad's house last year, two years ago. There's a Super Bowl party. They throw it at my house. Oh my gosh. There's this guy who just yells at the TV that I can't stand. Who's just wrong. He's wrong about everything. I'm like, shut up. You don't know anything about football. But basketball is fun both. Basketball is fun live, both with comfort. It's also fun when you're at the game. The NFL, the NFL is best on TV. Basketball is, uh, is good on TV and in person. Baseball's great live, and then ho- but it's, it's okay on TV. Hockey has to be live. I can't watch hockey on TV. It doesn't, doesn't pull me in, but hockey live is incredible and special. Carl, I hope I answered your question with justice. I did the best I could. Uh, I, I just enjoyed that question. It made me think a lot. It's really cool. Okay, uh, the last question of the day comes from Alex. Alex says, you've talked recently about quarterback leadership. Being a Broncos fan, it has been tough since Peyton retired. Given Flacco's body language and reaction from teammates on the sidelines, what would you do with him? Also, please don't waste your time doing an analysis on him. I think you'd be too frustrated with the lack of awareness in the pocket and downfield throws. Love your videos. Thank you so much, Alex. Uh, incidentally, um, I did watch a lot of Joe Flacco yesterday. I watched. I spent the entire day breaking down doing Emmanuel Sanders film. I'm working on a film analysis of him. It's not quite done, but it's it's coming tomorrow. I'm very excited. And I watched a lot of Joe Flacco. Oh my gosh, he misses a lot. Uh, he just he just misses like couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. It's terrible. I would not want Joe Flacco leading my football team. Here's my question and my problem when I watch Joe Flacco. I ask, does he care? Does he want to be there? Joe Flacco seems like a guy who's just cashing checks. I, you know, I recently have come to understand that some NFL teams are happy just coasting. Like NFL teams make a ton of money. Not every team in the NFL is trying to win a Super Bowl. But they want to make it look like they're trying to win a Super Bowl. So fans care. Then fans buy merchant. Like the Dallas Cowboys, they're, they're happy just... I think Jerry Jones wants to win a Super Bowl. But if they don't ever win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, they don't care. They're, they make so much money. The New York Giants, as long as they're competitive, they make a ton of money. I don't think either of those teams are, are victims or are culprits of teams not trying to win. But I, I know there are teams out there that aren't trying to win a Super Bowl. They're just trying to be good enough to make a ton of money and sell merchandise and make all the money that, and bring in tickets and bring in people. They're happy being a revenue-making machine. Is Joe Flacco one of those parts of the problem that's like, hey, I'm not trying to win. I'm a revenue-making machine. I'm Joe Flacco. You pay me millions of dollars. I'm tall and I have a strong arm, so I get away with a lot of ugly throws. I don't get what the deal is with Joe Flacco. There's no encouragement. There's no leadership. He's a bad example to the young quarterback, Drew Locke, behind him. What do I do with him? If you're the Broncos, you got to keep him, I guess. Like, maybe the the Bears will trade for him. I would trade away a first-round pick for Joe Flacco in a heartbeat, but they're not going to get that because they traded away, like, a fourth-round pick to get him. A third or fourth. Nobody wants Joe Flacco. He's bad. He stinks. Uh, I think I will do a film analysis of him eventually to show how how far he's fallen and how bad he is. He's just terrible. And I I don't know what... There's nothing you can do. You're under contract with him. Do you bench him? You don't because Drew Locke, the backup quarterback in Denver, is not ready. Drew Locke, the backup, was... Pretty, if, if nothing else, uneven in college at Missouri. He's not good. And so what do you do with Joe Flacco? Nothing. Sadly, you got to watch him play. I feel bad for Broncos fans. They got a horrible quarterback. And I, 
you know, I was just wrong. I really thought that Joe Flacco was going to go to Denver. He would be, I, I really thought Joe Flacco cared. That's maybe the miscalculation I make. I made. I thought that getting benched for Lamar Jackson was going to make Joe Flacco have a, like, just get angry and say, I'm going to win with the Broncos. And Joe Flacco doesn't look motivated. He's just cashing checks. And that's sad because I think at one point in his career, he was motivated. And either the money, the comfort, he's just tired of getting hit, whatever it is, Joe Flacco's going through the motions, and it's very evident to me. He's not giving it his all. He found a team that wants him, and he's like, I'll make $26 million more million. Why not? Joe Flacco, I, I just don't see the, the effort from him. I don't think he cares. I know that's an attack on his personality. I know it's an attack on his, his integrity. Like, is he, but I think he's got to ask himself, dude, are you trying to win? Like, I'm not even kidding. I, I, hate, I hate asking that question. I feel like kind of a, who am I to judge? But there, he doesn't look hungry at all. It's just unfortunate. I hate watching Joe Flacco because it's just it's so lackadaisical, makes terrible throws, isn't encouraging. There's no fire. There's no emotion. I wouldn't want him leading my team, and I just don't think he wants to play. I think he's just happy making a ton of money, and that's good enough for him. All right, um, that's Ask Zach. I'm going to do another show tomorrow. This is way longer. I'm so glad I didn't extend this episode because it would have been like three hours if I'd done all the other stuff I have planned for tomorrow. So I'm glad I broke it up into multiple podcasts. That's all I have for today. Coming up next, this is my favorite song right now. It gets me super pumped up. I'm not even kidding. I play it on repeat over. My girlfriend hates me because I play it over and over and over again. I just love this song. Uh, This is my friends from Almost Blonde and their new single, Wasted Time. Have a great day and take care. As I jump in the deep So you can learn from my mistakes And cut the weight from your feet I was once like you And you'll be just like me Don't mistake me for somebody That you shouldn't believe Do you remember the person That you aspired to be? Well he packed up his bags And he's ready to leave He's on the brink It's time to think of what you want to achieve Cause there's a different path For the life you need If it was easy Everybody would have followed your lead And you will get no respect Until you start to succeed And people still are gonna cut you Just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man Who used to walk in your feet time.